that's just the way it is. But with regard to that hymn, I don't know anything in that hymn that could be said better. Would you turn back to Hebrews chapter 4? I've entitled this message, The Movement of Faith. The Movement of Faith. Now, there is certainly a sense in which faith must not move because it's grounded on the foundation, the immovable foundation of Christ. And I think of that passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, where he says that we're uh, uh, presented holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in God's sight if we continue in the faith and be not, what? Moved from the hope of the gospel. Now, our object of faith is immovable, isn't he? And therefore, that faith cannot move. Man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That being said, faith is not stagnant. Faith is not static. Faith is not stationary, but powerful and operative. The Lord said, all things are possible to him that believeth. You look at Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Noah moved with fear. There's movement. By faith, Abraham went out to a place in which he would afterward receive for an inheritance. That's movement, isn't it? Moses, by faith, forsook Egypt. That's movement. If you go throughout that 11 chapters of the great hall of faith will see the movement of faith. Now look in Hebrews chapter 4. I want to read verses 14 through 16. I'm going to bring a whole message on these verses next week, but I kind of want to use this as a springboard into this phrase, let us therefore. And let us therefore describes the movement of faith. It's in the book of Hebrews some 14 or 15 times. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched, with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, <clears throat> yet without sin, let us therefore come. There's the motion. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us therefore. 
In chapter 4, verse 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Now there's where the motion of faith takes you. Entering into his rest. Let us fear, therefore, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto him. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. <clears throat> For we which have believed do enter. Now there's movement, isn't it? Do enter into his rest. Now the first description of the movement of faith has something to do with entering in. And oh, my God give me and you the grace to do that even now. Of entering in to his rest. Look in verses 9 and 10 of this fourth chapter. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. What do you want me to do? Rest. Rest. For he that's entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works. As God did from his. How did God cease from his works? When he finished creation, he rested. There was nothing left to do. And here is the first motion of faith. It's to enter into his rest. To cease Right now, cease from your own works. Just forget them. Somebody says, well, I could believe if I... Forget that. Cease from your own works. And enter into his rest. He actually says in verse 11, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. You know why he says that? Because the hardest thing in the world to do, as a matter of fact, it's impossible to do it unless God gives us grace to do it, is to rest. The hardest thing to do is to do nothing, to rest in him. But this is the first direction of motion I see with faith, resting. Look in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, there's that word, let us hold fast our profession. Now, what kind of motion is in that? Well, if I'm holding fast my profession, I'm trying to knock away anything that comes in contrary to that profession, that confession. Now, what is a confession? The word means, it's sometimes translated profession, it's sometimes translated confession, but it's the same word. It means to speak the same Thing. You know what our confession is? It's what me and you agree on. There will be absolutely no disagreement with any believer regarding the confession of their faith. And Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 calls it the confession of our hope. Now what is my hope? I have a hope to be in heaven and I'm, I'm holding this fast and I'll and I tell you what, I'm 
I'm going to stay right there and I'm going to try to fight against anything that would knock me off this hope, aren't you? What is that hope? Well, it sounds something like this. If God be for me, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son. Think about that for a minute. He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not? What would possibly prevent him from freely giving us all things? Now there's my hope. That because God did not spare his son, there's nothing that will possibly prevent him from freely giving me everything I need. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? There's no accusation that can be brought against me. How come? God justified me. Who is he that can condemn? Bring it on. It's Christ that died. Now my hope, my, here, here's my profession. This is my confession. This is what every, every believer agrees completely with this. My only hope of being saved is that Jesus Christ died for my sins and put them away and gave me his perfect righteousness and I stand before God sinless because of what he did. Period. That's my hope. And we hold fast tenaciously to that hope. Now there's we're not, somebody says, well, we can agree to disagree. No, no, we can't. We're agreement here. This is the believer's hope. Now look what he says in verse 16. He says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. Now that is motion, isn't it? You know, coming to Christ is spiritual motion, isn't it? You move spiritually, you don't move a muscle physically. But spiritually, coming to Christ is a spiritual movement. And he says, let us, therefore, the us is every believer, everybody who has this confession, let us, therefore, come boldly, come with confidence, come cheerfully. And where are we coming? To a throne. It's a throne. You don't come presumptuously. You come with fear. It's a throne, but it's a throne of grace. Salvation is by grace. And because it's a throne of grace, there's no conditions that have to be met. Because it's a throne of grace, we can come with this boldness. If it's a throne of grace, if salvation really is by grace. And let me give you a scripture that tells how much salvation is by grace. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. You know what that means? When Christ was raised from the dead, I was raised from the dead. That's how complete this salvation is. He hath quickened us together with Christ. And Paul says, here's what I mean by all this. By grace are you saved. Yeah. 
That's why we come boldly. Look in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles, the ABCs, the elements, the rudimentary principles, the first things. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. That's movement, isn't it? Let us go on unto perfection. Now, I need to say some words about this. Does this mean that uh, once we get the ABCs down, let's just go on to something else? doesn't mean that at all. What he's saying is we shouldn't have to always be laying again these foundational principles. They ought to be automatic to you. They ought to be something you're grounded on that are just so automatic. You, you think this way. You breathe this way. You realize this. If I, you know, if you have to be rebuilding the foundation... Superstructure is never going to go up, is it? These are these first principles you ought to be grounded in. You ought not have to have them taught to you over and over again like you've forgotten. No. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Perfection. Now, somebody may think, does that mean we can be perfect? Well, we ought to be. Doesn't mean we are. You know that. You know while you're listening to me because of your sinful nature that you'll never be perfect in this life. Oh, you look forward to absolute sinless perfection in the life to come. But in the different translations I read of this, most say, let us go on unto maturity. Let us go on to spiritual maturity. Not laying again the foundation, and he named six things that ought to be automatic with every one of us. And the first thing he mentions is the foundation of repentance from dead works. Any work before God birthed me into the kingdom of heaven is a dead work. No saving value. You know, it always troubles me when people talk about their experience and they speak of being saved before they ever really heard or believed the gospel of grace. Uh, that means you haven't repented of your dead works is what that means. You're still holding on to dead works and until that is, is repent of your dead works. Look to Christ only. And then the next thing he mentions is faith toward God. This ought to be so automatic. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. You believe his isness. And you believe that Jesus Christ is God. When you have faith in God, you have faith in Jesus Christ. He's God. That's why he can save you. That's why he's able to save you because of who he is. Be grounded in he's the Savior. Your faith is in him, not yourself, not your experience. Not your understanding. It's in him. Faith toward God. And then he says in verse 2, we ought not have to be laying again the foundation of the doctrine of baptisms. Now when he says this, he's not talking about the mode of baptisms. Well, I've, I've got the proper mode of baptism. I know it's baptism by immersion. And I know 
Baptism ought to only been done by believers, not unbelievers. You shouldn't sprinkle infants. I got all that down. That's not even what he's talking about. When he's talking about the doctrine of baptisms, what does baptism teach? Union with Jesus Christ. When I'm baptized, here's what I'm saying. When Jesus Christ lived, I lived. I'm united to him. His obedience is my personal obedience. When Jesus Christ died, I died. All my sins were paid for. I was united to him. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, I was too. That's union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And until I have some, I know that we can't comprehend all the the. the the intricacies of union with Christ, but this is our hope, that I'm united to him. And that's why God deals with me as a son, because I am a son in him. Now, if I'm not grounded there, I'll never reach spiritual maturity. And the next thing he mentions, the fourth thing in verse 2, is the laying on of hands. Now, let me assure you, this is not talking about when Preachers lay their hands on people and all of a sudden they supposedly have some kind of experience and jump backward and they have the Holy Spirit and so on. That's not what that's talking about. He's talking about Aaron going into the Holy of Holies and laying his hand on that scapegoat. And symbolically, it doesn't say symbolically, it says the sins and the iniquities and the transgressions of Israel went to that scapegoat. Now, the laying on of hands is simply this, the transference of sin and the transference of righteousness. That's what that represents. Now, if my sins were transferred to Christ, you know what? I don't have them anymore. And if his righteousness is transferred to me, I'm the very righteousness of God. May God ground us in that. To always have to be laying again that foundation. And then the fifth thing he mentions in verse 2 is the resurrection of the dead. Now, there's three resurrections spoken of in the scripture. It's so simple. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead bodily. And when he was raised from the dead, the scripture says he was raised for our justification. When he was raised from the dead, God said, I'm satisfied with him and everybody he died for. And then there's the spiritual resurrection. When somebody dead in sins lives, they hear the gospel. God the Holy Spirit gives them life. And then there's that final resurrection when the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Oh, what joy there is. What grounding there is. What maturity there is in just seeing the glory of the resurrection. And then the last thing he mentions is eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. God's eternal. And everything he does is eternal. And that judgment is eternal. That means it never began and it will never end. It took place in eternity. Christ is called the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And while I can't understand all the implications of that, I love it that way. He's the eternal God. He goes on to speak of eternal salvation in the next uh, chapter. Eternal salvation, not temporary salvation. 
Not salvation that had a beginning and an end, but eternal. Now, you and I will go on to maturity, spiritual maturity, if we're grounded in those. You know someone who's not grounded in those? They make a work out of everything. They, uh, they, they're, they're just babies. I mean, we love babies. We love babies. We don't want to stay in babies, do we? I mean, what if we're changing diapers when they're 19 years old? That's a real problem, isn't it? We don't want that. Um, let us go on unto maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19, this is similar to verse 16 in chapter 4. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. Now there's motion. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil... That is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. That's motion, isn't it? Let us draw near. With a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now, what am I fully assured of? Well, I'm fully assured that verse 14 is so, by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I'm fully assured of that. I'm not looking anywhere else. My perfection's in Christ, and I'm perfect in Christ Jesus. I'm fully assured of that. Whereof the Holy Ghost is a witness to us. After they said before, this is what the Holy Spirit testifies to us. This is when we have Holy Spirit conviction, when he makes known through the preaching of the gospel, through the reading of his word, this is the covenant that I'll make with him after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds while I write them. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. So don't try to bring one. Now here's some motion you don't want to do. You don't want to try to bring an offering for sin. Well, I, I sin grievously. I, I, I need to wait till I feel a little bit better and then I'll come into God's presence. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Come right now boldly into the very holy of holies by the blood of Jesus. That is what every believer is called upon to do. To come with boldness into the very holy of holies by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 23 of the same chapter 10. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Once again, when I think of uh, movement there, I think of trying to knock away anything that would move me from that. The profession of our hope. Uh, we hold it fast. We hold it tenaciously. Uh, this is not something uh, we're indifferent about. We hold this tenaciously. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. That's a motion we don't want. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another. Let us consider 
one another, to provoke unto love and to good works. Now there's some movement involved here in considering one another to provoke a response. Let us consider one another to provoke, to love, and to good works. Now I'm called upon to treat you and you're called upon to treat me in such a way that you're provoked to love me and I'm provoked to love you. What's that mean? If by the way I treat you, I treat you the way I want to be treated, if I'm not judgmental toward you, if I'm not trying to manipulate you, to try to get you to do what I want, if I love you, if I don't look down my nose upon you in pride and arrogance, if I treat you with respect, if I'm genuine, genuinely interested in you and your best interests, you know what? You'll be provoked to love me. You'll be provoked. If you treat me that way, I'll be provoked to love you. Provoke one another to love and good works. You know, when you're provoked to love me, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do good to me for the glory of Christ out of love to him. But you're going to do good to me. If you provoke me to love, I'm going to do good to you. You know, this thing of doing good as much as anything else, it's being merciful, being gracious. Provoke to love and to good works. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now he's talking about the witnesses mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Beginning with Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Samson, Jephthah, Samuel, David, and the prophets. In light of the faith that God gave these men and the motion we see them going because of that faith. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience. That's motion, isn't it? Let us run with patience. The race that's set before us. Seeing we're compassed about with this cloud of witnesses, he speaks of in Hebrews chapter 11, what a cloud it is. Let us lay aside every weight, every hindrance in running this race. Now, if you run a race, you don't have heavy stuff on, do you? And let us lay aside the sin that does so easily beset us. Now, most people, when they think of besetting sins, they think of constitutional sins. What's a temptation to one person is not so much a temptation to the other person. And 
Some have more problem with this sin. Some have, that's not what that's talking about. The definite, the definite article tells me the besetting sin is unbelief. It's the mother of all other sin. And let us run with patience. Patience. God's on the throne. No point worrying. No point in getting upset. Let us run with patience the race that God set before us. We all have a race to run. God's given you a race to run. God's given me a race to run. I don't know how long we're going to run, or we'll run until ever he, until ever he takes us home. But let us run with patience, believing God's on the throne. What? No worries. No worries. And here's how this race is to run. Be run, verse 2, looking unto Jesus. And this race set before us, here's what we're always doing. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the author of it. You know, he's called the author of eternal salvation. He's the author of it in the sense that he purposed it. He purchased it. He applies it. He's the author, and he's the one that's going to make sure it goes all the way to the end. He finishes it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Look in verse 28 of this chapter. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace. And my marginal reading says, let us hold to grace. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, we've received a kingdom that can't be moved. If it was something created, it could be moved. But this is the uncreated kingdom of God that can't be moved. Oh, we're so safe and secure in this kingdom. Now, seeing that we have received this kingdom, the king of the kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ, let us hold on fast to grace that we may serve God. There's movement in that. Serve God acceptably with reverence and with godly fear. Now, let me say this. If you have any reverence toward God, you're going to hold on to grace. If you have any fear of God, you're going to hold on to grace. I mean, it's all you have, the grace of God. And to not hold on to grace is to have no reverence and no fear of God. And there is no acceptable service without holding on to grace. Let us, therefore, hold on to grace. Grace, tis a charming sound melodious to the ear. I love the Lord's name best of all, but my second favorite word is grace. <laughs> Let us hold to grace. Chapter 13. 
Let brotherly love continue. Now there's motion in that word, isn't there? Continue. 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 Let brotherly love continue. That point about provoking one another uh, to love and good works, keep it going. Paul said, make love your aim. Make it your aim. Let brotherly love continue. And he goes on to say what that means. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, that are suffering for the gospel's sake, as bound with them. And them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body like you're suffering it. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. I love that scripture. If you have Christ as all, what is there to covet? In what way could you not be content? Content with beholding his face. My all to his pleasure resigned. No changes of season or place would make any change in my mind. When blessed with a sense of his love, a palace, a toy would appear. And prisons would palaces prove if Jesus would dwell with me there. Verse 9 of chapter 13. Here's some movement we don't want. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. We don't want that kind of movement, do we? Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Anything opposed to grace is being carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. Verse 9, It's a good thing for the heart to be established with grace and not with meats, which we have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle, those Levitical priests. We have an altar to eat of that they are forbidden to. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. They didn't burn them inside the walls of the tabernacle or in the camp of Israel. They went outside. You know who was outside the camp? Lepers and the unclean. That too is without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Let us go to him outside the camp. You know, there's a couple of things that really hit me about this. Outside the camp of accepted religion. You know, I have no desire at all to be identified with man's religion. Yeah. I, have no, I, I have no desire to be identified with what is called Christianity in our day. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I, I'm ashamed of religion and I don't want to be identified with it. 
And I don't apologize for that. I don't want to be identified with it. I want to be outside the camp. And you know who's outside the camp? Lepers and the unclean. You know what? That's the people I want to be with. Sinners saved by the grace of God. That's who he's with. That's who I want to be with too. Now for the last one. Verse 15. By him, therefore, let us. There's that language. By him, therefore. Now, I love the way the writer says this. He doesn't say, let us offer the sacrifices of praise to God continually. He says, by him, therefore. I don't want to do anything on my own to you. So in this, in this kind of motion, I want to make sure I'm only in him. So in this sacrifice that I'm offering up is him doing it. By him. By him. I, I, there's so much of that in the writings of scripture. By him. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Oh, what a beautiful motion. Giving thanks to his name. Now, somebody says, you need to think about what you ought to be thankful for. Everything. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Whatever it is, give thanks for it. It's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's a good thing, isn't it? But to do good, verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now this is a part of that giving thanks to his name. He tells us what not to forget. This is a part of that spiritual motion to do good. Every one of us ought to be very zealous of good works. And we ought to be very zealous of doing good to others and being merciful toward others. And you know what? There's sacrifice involved in that. There's sacrifice. You're going to have to deny yourself to do that. But isn't it joyful? Well, as soon as I said that, I, my, my mind goes, well, how do you know? Have you ever done it? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I hope to. <laughs> Maybe after this. I, I, to do good and to communicate. That means to give. To give. Don't forget to give. What a privilege, what a blessing it is for the Lord to allow us to give to his cause. Now to do good and to give, communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, and it is a sacrifice, uh, but through Christ, God is well pleased. Faith has motion, doesn't it? Faith has movement. Yes, it's grounded and can't be moved because Christ can't be moved. 
He's the foundation that can't be moved. But oh, that we would have the movement described in these verses of Scripture. Let's pray. Lord, give us the grace to enter into your rest, to come boldly under your throne of grace. Give us the grace to have the movement of all these aspects of faith. Lord, that's your work in us, and we pray that you would do your work in us, that you would work in us that which is well-pleasing in your sight. I bless these words for Christ's sake. In his name we pray. Amen.